welcome to My Faculty Podcast at Walden University, created to provide further professional development and conversations relevant to faculty interests. This podcast is brought to you by the Office of Research and Doctoral Services. This is Dr. Lee Statlander, and I'm the coordinator of faculty research training at Walden University. With me today is Dr. Lori Lasavita. Lori, you can you introduce yourself? Hi there. Yes, I'm happy to. Um, my name is Dr. Lori Lasavita. I am a core faculty member at Walden University. I am an organizational psychologist by nature. That's my discipline, but I've worked extensively in higher education for over 20 years. So it's a pleasure to be here with you, Lee. Great. Our topic today is going to be emotional intelligence. So why don't we just start with a definition? What do we mean by emotional intelligence? Yeah, you know, it's almost become a buzzword. I think a lot of people think it means different things, but really it's it's the ability to monitor your own emotions as well as the emotions of others. And then to be able to distinguish between um, and label different emotions correctly, and then to use that emotional information to guide your thinking and your behavior, um, and also become a source of influence for of, of, to others. So... What would someone that was high in emotional intelligence look like? I mean, like compared to somebody that was low? Yeah. So, you know, in our field of education, it would be somebody if they had a high level of emotional intelligence, they would find it easy to empathize with their coworkers, their colleagues, um, you know, students or other individuals would find it easy to empathize with, um, with other colleagues or even have that good relationship and open relationship with their faculty. Um, they are very aware, they're able to read the current. And what I mean by that is they're able to pick up on cues in the environment. In other words, um, an example I like to use is that uh, I had this experience myself. I had a colleague of mine that was thought she you know, deserved a raise and there was no question that that was true. However, um, the CEO of a company had just finished having a, a team meeting saying that they were, you know, the budget was being cut and that they were trying not to let go of people. And so, you know, everybody was all, all hands on deck at that point and people were, were going to be asked to do things that perhaps were not in their job description so that they could pull together and get past this economic um, crisis. And she had an appointment with the um, CEO at, right after that meeting and rather than reading the currents and understanding that that wasn't the time to ask for a raise, obviously, right? Um, but she just, you know, she went forward with it because she, well, you know, she did deserve it. However, it was not the right time. So she didn't pick up on those cues and she just was very single-minded and going forward. So that would be somebody that had very low emotional intelligence. Somebody that was had high emotional intelligence would be able to say, okay, yes, I do deserve a raise, but it's not going to happen now. Let me wait for the opportune time. Let's see how things go, and then we'll, we'll do it at a later date. So that would be a good example, I think, of somebody that's high or low in emotional intelligence. Okay. So how does that relate to mentoring? Well, you know, it's interesting. When you mentor students um, with their dissertation especially, you have to be in tune with that student uh, sometimes we have students that are afraid to ask questions or they don't feel that they have the adequate understanding of research or they're terrified of the topic itself. And if we don't gauge what's going on with a student and 
we don't um, try to um, adapt our behaviors so that we're open to students and, and we make students feel comfortable and we create that safe space in the relationship that they feel that they can ask any question that's not going to be met with um, thinking that they're not intelligent or that they don't know what they're doing. Um, you're, you're able to show that empathy and compassion and understanding for students. Some students need more work than others. Some students need more support than others. And if you, it's up to you, the mentor, to be able to create that environment for the student to be able to excel. Um, when students feel comfortable and when they feel that, you not only care about them completing their dissertation, but you care about them as individuals. You really genuinely want them to succeed. That's when that environment begins to foster openness and, and communication and safety. I often hear faculty say things like, well, my job is not to handhold them. I mean, how would you respond to something like that? I'd say that is their job. Uh, you know, it's funny. The academics are no longer the sage on the stage, and I'm sure you've heard that sure. term used. You know, we don't have st students that are sitting at our feet like Aristotle, you know, just looking to learn from our wisdom. We have students from all walks of life. They're adult learners. They have busy lives. They have families. They have jobs. And they're trying to get their education. And so does that mean we should lower the standard? Absolutely not. But should, rather than holding a standard and saying, you have to reach the standard, and then sitting back and watching them jump and try to reach it on their own is not effective, and it's not really what being a teacher is all about. In today's world, being a teacher means being able to, like we said earlier, mentor. And that's not only with dissertation, that's in the classroom too, in that you want to provide, again, that climate where students feel comfortable. They want to keep going back to it. They find it to be energizing. They find it to be something that um, you know, is challenging to them, but at the same time, they see progress. And so if that means holding their hand what I translate that into being is being supportive, being able to provide knowledge and guidance when needed, and to be able to show examples if students don't understand. You know, the feedback, you know, we can give feedback forever. And if we're the only one that understands what we're saying, then what's the point of it? So the feedback has to be, again, you have to be aware of your student. What level are they? in and how do they understand they don't understand the feedback explain it to them further give them an example help them to learn uh, that's what's being a teacher i believe is all about and and i and if that's called hand-holding well then i guess that's what we need to do and i think we can't really call ourselves teachers if we're not um, willing to do that and we need to ask ourselves why did we really enter into this profession to begin with we are not editors right? We're not there to critique someone's work and edit it and cope with all red marks and send it back to them and tell them to try again. We're teachers, so we have to teach. And that means sharing information, knowledge, guidance, and support. And that's um, required for all teachers today. So are there things in particular that you think online faculty should be doing beyond what you've already talked about? I mean, how... Can we show a student emotional intelligence at a distance? You know, it's, yeah, that's a good question. I think, you know, the first step is self-awareness, which is a component of emotional intelligence. And that's being able to recognize your own emotions and the effect it has on you. Um, and then to be able to have 
understand your strengths and, and your limits um, and what things that you need to work on as, as a teacher, as a faculty member, because if we don't have self-awareness, then we all will eventually have a student that quote unquote triggers us. So we may say we have strong emotional intelligence in all aspects. However, when that one student with a particular um, personality trait or a particular way of doing things really rubs us the wrong way, you know, triggers are usually based on prior experience. If we don't recognize those triggers, we may find our emotions hijacking our behaviors rather than helping us to appropriate, be, uh, behave appropriately. And so that's where self-awareness comes in, is knowing what your triggers are, knowing when a student does trigger you, um, such as, I'll give an example, if you have a student that doesn't feel they have to cite anything, that they're an expert um, in, the, um, in, in that particular topic, um, you know, that may trigger something in you where you want to say something back that could be very um, nasty or it could be very um, detrimental to the relationship that you're trying to forge with this student. So taking a step back, realizing that's a trigger, and then choosing your behavior. What do you want to say to that student? How do you want to convey to that student and gain them? Again, remember earlier I said you want to become a source of influence when you have high emotional intelligence. How can you be that source of influence with the, with the student to help them understand why citations are necessary, why they are not the only expert in the field or in that topic, and why we need to have empirical evidence to support it? So that's one of the things I think that's important. Um, and I think it's also self-regulation is important to be able to you know, manage these emotions and impulses. Um, and you want to be trustworthy. You want to be able to say that you're going to do something and you do it. If you tell a student you're going to provide feedback within such and such a time, then you need to do that. Or if something comes up where you can't do that, you need to have open communication with the students so they're not waiting for something that's never coming. Um, you know, we all have things happen in our lives, but if you have that open communication, you both begin to understand each other and realize that we're both working towards the same goal, which is their academic success. Um, and I think, too, empathy is, is essential. It's empathy really is sensing others' feelings um, and perspective. And it's when you take an active interest in what their concerns are. So when you have empathy and you cultivate that empathy, you know, you have that service orientation. You're anticipating, you're recognizing, and you're, you know, really honed in on meeting the student, uh, their student needs um, as you identify them, of uh, being aware um, of what's going on. And then developing others is really what to um, think about. What does that student need to develop? What does that student need to bolster their ability? Um, how do you um, think about what the emotional current is. If a student comes to you in tears, do you take that into account? If a student comes to you and acts like they don't care, well, what brought about that? So being really, really attuned to that and using good social skills, um, like I said earlier, communication, um, uh, being able to handle things that come up, conflicts that may come up, um, they're going to happen. And then when you're building that real bond and nurturing that relationship, because in the end, it all comes down to relationships. It does, for sure. And I think a lot of people have trouble with that with a student. It's, you know, when we're right. in a normal situation, we don't tend to form those relationships with students the way you do in dissertation. You know, you have them for so long 
it's a really different kind of, I just keep saying that word relationship, but it is, it's just. Right, right. It is, you know, even we use emotional intelligence a lot in organizations as well, organization with professional development and leadership development. And even there, it all comes down to relationships and whether or not, you know, if you think about it, why do we accept criticism from some people and not from others? From some people, you have that relationship, you know they're telling you something because they want the best for you, right? When you don't have a relationship with someone and they tell you something, you may think it's just because they want to be critical or it's just because they want to, you know, they want to push you down or they have ulterior motives. There's a lot of things that come to mind when you don't have that relationship. It's the relationship that allows you to accept the feedback. So that's important for us to remember as faculty is that if we don't, if we don't establish a relationship with our students and we provide feedback that at times may be critical um, or just telling them that they're not doing something correctly, for them to be able to accept that feedback and understand it, they have, we have to have forged some type of a relationship with them. I've heard it said that you should always assume the best intention, like with a student. Do you agree with that? I do. You know, we get so um, focused sometimes on finding what the student is doing wrong that we don't actually look for ways to look at what the student is doing right. And I think that we need to look more at the student, what the student is doing right, and, and having the thought that every student is capable of completing a dissertation or completing a course if they apply themselves and they are able and we support them and create the right environment. Now, I just want to clarify too so that faculty don't think that because we do these things that every student is going to succeed. They may not. They may not have the academic capability or they may not have the desire or the drive to finish. Um, it's a long process, as you said. And so, but we need to be able to say as professionals, as faculty, as teachers, that we did all we could do to support, guide, and help that student through the process of learning. And if you're confident that you did that, then it's not the student is also accountable. They have to do their part as well. Nice. I like that a lot, actually. Um, yeah. So if a chair would like to improve their EI or to get a feel for where they're at with it, what would you suggest? Um, there are assessments out there that you can take that will identify your strengths and limitations. Um, there are EI coaches that you can bring on board to help you. Or if you don't want to go that route officially, I would say that you form a cohort with your colleagues and um, you know have these discussions and talk about emotional intelligence and then start thinking. The five basic areas of EI are self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skills. Those are the five cornerstone areas that you'll find in every EI model. And so if you're having those conversations with colleagues and you're talking about situations that occur and how you reacted and you go through, were you self-aware? Did you have good self-regulation? Did you feel motivated, like you said earlier, to find that students can do things right and that they're looking for, and that you're looking for the successes? Um, did you show empathy? 
Um, and how were your social skills? How were your communication skills? Did you struggle with any of those? And then you can support each other in um, helping yourself to, helping each other to hone in on certain things that you may not be aware of. So I think a cohort group or a colleague group, whatever you wanna call it, is a great way to try to enhance your emotional intelligence. There are so much research that's out there on this topic. I would start doing some research on it. And, um, you know, we all have a certain degree of emotional intelligence. Um, probably the majority of us have a high level of emotional intelligence in some areas. Because you're high in one area and that's a strength doesn't mean you're, you're high in all areas. And so we need to think about ways we can improve our areas of limitation that we have identified ourselves, uh, our colleagues have identified, or perhaps your supervisor has mentioned something to you. You know, your message is great, but your delivery is terrible. <laughs> has anybody heard that from someone? Okay, so look at that. Why is your delivery power terrible? Your communication's not what it should be. You know, maybe you don't have that self-awareness. Maybe you aren't showing good social skills or empathy. So pay attention to those that are evaluating you, and then also rely on your colleagues to be able to support each other to develop these skills. It seems like having that type of a group would be great for discussing issues that come up, you know, with a student and then everybody, you know, offering suggestions and EI would come out, I'm sure, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I love that idea. I absolutely love that idea. Kind of like a triage, you know, yeah. when you think about it, you know, we all get together and sometimes, yes, I had a student and this is how I handled it. It didn't work out that well, but then I wish I would have done this and you might want to try that. And that conversation is, those are priceless. So yes, groups um, of faculty that can form or, or we can develop something like that would be a wonderful thing, I think, for, you know, because you're in it with your colleagues, you've all had experiences and sharing those and really bringing that EI into it would be great. But it shouldn't be a negative thing in that everybody complains. It's got to be yeah. problem solving and, you know, again, looking for the best of how we can help the student. And Absolutely. You know, I always say, if you're going to raise a complaint, you've got to come up with a solution at the same, you've got to have a solution, otherwise you can't raise the complaint. So that kind of takes people back a little before they start complaining and not offering any solutions. So we have to be solution focused, absolutely. And we have to be positive yeah. because there are many positive things that are happening out there. We just don't hear about them sometimes from our colleagues. So this group could also serve to do that. I love it. Me well, too. anything else that we should know about EI before we move on? You know, I just wanted to say that EI is something that kind of was around a long time ago, and now all of a sudden it has a resurgence, not only in organizations and in business, but also now in academia. I mean, I see more and more research being conducted on emotional intelligence in academia and how academic achievement and success is really hinges on that, whether it be the, uh, when we're evaluating teacher performance or whether we're looking at student um, um, achievement. So I just, I, I encourage everyone to, to start reading more about it and trying to implement some of the ideas that we had. I think were, were great. We'd love to see them take place. And um, it's really something that is common sense, but it's not common practice. Nice. 
Thank you, Lori, so much for talking with us today and sharing your expertise. It was a pleasure. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of chairs at least start thinking about it. Hope so. That's great. Thank you for joining us today for Research Talk. Our music is by audionautics.com, and I'm Dr. Lee Stoutlander. Today's podcast was sponsored by Walden University's Office of Research and Doctoral Services.